Last Sunday, my mom passed away. Uh, Again, to tell you some of this, because it's the context for everything that was in my head all week long and the the reason for this Sunday's message. Mom was, uh, she actually turned 86 on Thursday. She died on Sunday, so she was just barely 86 when she passed away. Maybe about four and a half weeks ago, she contracted pneumonia, and she was taken to Genesis. Uh, they diagnosed congestive heart failure as well as pneumonia, and um, she was just a real mess at the hospital. She's been physically very strong her whole life. I mean, just my mom is just really very strong. She's strong as a person, too. We lost my dad um, in 1970. So from, it's weird, my, my dad died on his birthday, two days before Christmas in 1970. My mom died three days after her birthday on Easter this year. So you know, as I start to get a little bit older, I, I tell you as I get grayer, but I'm all the, all the way gray if I let the little nubs come up. Um, pray for me when we get to big Christian holidays, okay? <laughs> Anyway, so mom had pneumonia, she had congestive heart failure, she was in the hospital, we'd go visit her in the hospital, and it was like I've never seen my mom before. She's had dementia for a number of years. She could remember 20 years ago, no problems, but she's met Annika a thousand times. I mean, a thousand times she said, who's that little girl? And two minutes later she says, who's this little girl? So that's been really hard over the course of the last few years to, it just, a whole other story. Anyway, so she's sitting in the hospital, and and her head's all flopped down, and, and she doesn't even have the strength to raise it back up. And um, she's got this pain in her body. I mean, my mom, I'm sure, she never had a boyfriend, never got remarried, nothing. She raised my brother and me, which at times wasn't probably the easiest thing anybody would ever have had to do. Um, I never heard my mom complain a word in her whole entire life about anything. One of the things that Teresa said when we were reflecting a little bit about her was that my mom had told Teresa that um, when my dad passed away, you know, now all of a sudden she's a, a single mom and she's got these two, you know, preteen boys and, you know, what are you going to do? And my mom, this is the essence of my mom's personality, and she said, are there two choices? You know, I'm going to get up tomorrow, I'm going to make sure the kids get to school, I'm going to go to work, when I get home we're going to make dinner, we're going we're gonna to just do what we have to do, and that's just how my mom was. So... To hear my mom moaning in pain or, um, gosh, when she was in the rehab place, she had some, something was wrong in her leg, and the bed sheet would cause her to cry out in pain, and, and she'd say, make it stop, make it stop, and I'd say, Mom, I, I got nothing to offer, I can only pray, and I'd sit there and I'd pray, and I just, that's so totally out of character, so if you remember, when Mom got sick, we asked you all to pray, we didn't ask you to pray for her to get better, we asked you to pray God's will, because I'm not so sure that God's will wasn't that the pneumonia was supposed to bring her home, right? And um, so we prayed, Lord, we prayed this prayer right, by the way. If you're ever going to pray for somebody and you're not sure whether the outcome of your prayer is death or not, the first part needs to be if her name is written in your book, okay? Because if her name's not written in her book, it's definitely not time for her to go, right? So, Lord, if her name is written in in your book, and this is the best that she's got to look forward to, then take her home. Please, Lord, take her home. And so now we get to last Sunday morning, and I'm sitting back at the computer here before church and you know, making sure that everything's set up how it's supposed to be, and my phone rings, and it's Teresa. And she says, Pat, your mom stopped breathing, and they took her to the, they're taking her to Genesis. You know? She said, what do you want to do? I said, well, when you get here, you know, we'll go there. 
So I started, you know, getting everything ready and, you know, heaven forbid anybody but me could ever do the anointed announcements. Um, <laughs> you know, get everybody squared away, get the computer squared away. Teresa came as I was finishing up and uh, I went looking for her so we could get off to the hospital and I couldn't find her. It turns out she was out in that vestibule uh, so she could get a cell phone signal. And when I turned the corner and saw her, I knew, I just knew my mom had passed. And she finished her conversation and she turned around and um, she said, your mom's gone. And I was just hit with this overwhelming, I guess it's grief, I don't know for sure. I mean, heaviness is grief. Oh, heaviness, I meant to tell you. I got up that morning, I had heaviness. I mean, I'm, I'm a no heaviness guy. I mean, I'm a walking on air guy all the time. And I, was, I had something I could not shake off me. And I was sitting back there and Chris Dickerson came in and you know, hey, brother, how you doing? We gave a hug and everything. I said, Chris, I got something's matter with me. I've been praying. I can't pray it off. I can't shake it. I got this heaviness. I don't know what it is. Teresa, when I was getting ready to leave the house, she said, since sometime this morning, I can't breathe. There's something messed up. I can't breathe. Well, I mean, we didn't know at the time, but I really think it was something in the spirit that, that we were sensing that my mom was getting ready to go and the heaviness wasn't going to go because of the situation. So anyway, Teresa, you know, she says, Pat, your mom's gone. And I started crying and, um, you know, had this heaviness. And we went to the hospital and we know what to do. I mean, first time you experience it. I was 11 when my dad died, so I didn't have anything to do with that process. Uh, we went to the hospital. She was in like an emergency room with the curtain pulled. So we got to, you know, see mom and say goodbye, I guess. And only thing we wanted to do was to come back here and worship God. That... God only gives you, you know, maybe he'll give you a million, I don't know, but he only gives you so many moments in life when you can make a declaration before the world of how important he is in your life. And the grief went, and I don't want to say joy, it wasn't joy, but something happened. There was a comfort. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if I get all weird and wandery in this message, the gist of it is the comfort that we get from the Lord when we need that comfort. We worshiped God. We stood up. Man, I was even jumping up and down over here in the corner because I had this overwhelming thing is I'm going to make a statement today. The only way, I mean, oh my gosh, I can't imagine as a pastor, your mom dies on Easter Sunday right in the middle of church almost. You know what I mean? And, and, the, and the statement you can make before God's people and before God about who he is to you, you don't get that opportunity, most people ever, but we did. We got it, Right? So that was what Sunday was like. We went home, we were kind of in a funk and everything, but the comfort from the Holy Spirit has been off the page. There's so much I could tell you about uh, the attacks of the enemy that tried to get into my head. I questioned, I said, Lord, did I, was I the worst son ever? I mean, how come I see people, they can't get over it. They cry and grieve and all this stuff and nothing. I just feel fine. I think part of it was because my mom wasn't really my mom for a number of years. Maybe, I don't know, part of me had already said goodbye. But I'm telling you, it was the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's kind of the preamble of what happened. Thank you all, by the way. I'll thank you again in a few minutes. But thank you for your love and your prayers. Man, it makes a huge difference. It really does. I would not want to have to lose somebody important to me and not know Jesus. Bad, bad, bad. Okay, let's start off in Ecclesiastes. Somebody in your notepad wrote down that Pastor Pat actually spoke out of Ecclesiastes. That's another tough book. That might be harder than Leviticus for me to read. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4. Always you're going to get 
a hiccup when you have to read something. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's these different seasons of life. There's these different times that are appointed under heaven to happen. God knew they were going to happen. They were ordained. They're time to die. When I think about my mom, I had this condemnation from the devil. You prayed for your mom to die. And I had to, I had to get the Holy Spirit's comfort to understand that that was an attack. And it wasn't a guy who just didn't want to be bothered with a sick mom. That, that it was the right prayer to pray but my mom had an appointed time to die. Honestly, I'm not so sure that it wasn't four or five weeks ago. If, if this were 100 years ago, and I love medical science. Trust me, I do. Man, if one of my kids is sick or something, I, if God doesn't do the miracle, then let him do the miracle through a doctor. I, I'm all about it. But there's a time when it's just time. And that's the time that I really, I have peace in my heart. It was my mom's time. She couldn't be who she was. She'd lost so much strength. Even, honestly, I think, you know, I prayed, Lord, if it's her time, take her. But I don't know, how does God do that? Right? If she's Enoch, she just is no more. But I didn't expect that to happen. What's it look like when God just takes somebody? Something has to happen. They have to literally die. And, and I think there would be maybe no more graceful way than for her to just stop breathing, which is what she did. She just stopped breathing. It was her time. I have so much peace that it was her time. And, and, I, and I get my peace reinforced by God's word that says there is a time to die. So, so when my mom, years ago, bless her heart, she put do not resuscitate in her will. As a matter of fact, she would have never made it to Genesis if the part of uh, Caretel that she was in would have understood that she had a DNR. She'd have, she'd have just passed away there. Um, she didn't want that. That isn't the way she wanted to live. And... For really only a short while, she had to live that way. So a time to die. There is a time to die. We have to be careful that we're not tricked by the enemy into thinking that there is no time to die. Because honestly, I think in my life, that may have been the greatest act of mercy I've ever seen from the Lord. Okay, time to die. A time to weep and a time to mourn. It was interesting for me, the time of weeping was about, I don't know, five minutes. The time of mourning was... A half a day. I'm not saying if you lose somebody that's important to you and somebody that you love that, that if your experience isn't like my experience that you don't know Jesus. I'm not saying that one bit at all. But I'm telling you, my experience was so full of grace that it's off the page. Half a day, maybe you know, to the end of the day on Sunday, I get up Monday morning and I'm good. I mean, I'm just, I'm reveling in the fact that God was merciful to my mom. I'm reveling in the fact that she's in heaven right now and whatever happened 30 seconds ago, she knows it. If she met Anna Cub once, she met her forever up there because she doesn't forget anything. There's no dementia. There's no, ah, it hurts, make it stop. There's no, mom, wouldn't you be more comfortable if your head was up? I can't lift it up. It's all done. It's perfect. She is experiencing in her new tent. That's why it was interesting going to the funeral guy. He knew me a little bit. Uh, it was uh, R.J. Sharp over at Sharp's Funeral Home. And he's asking me all these questions about, you know, okay, you know, what do you want to do with her body? And he's so kind and so reverent. I'm like, listen, man, that's an old shirt. 
That's a used up tent that nobody lives in anymore. Scripture teaches me that that ain't my mom. That's the shirt she wore for 86 years and she's done with it now. Said, if we're going to put her in a casket, I want to see the $10 casket. Because I know from dust she came and from dust she's going to go. Now, if you want to honor your mom and dad with a million-dollar casket, I think it's wonderful because it's what's in your heart. But not me. I'm, I'm like, don't matter. She's being cremated because my brother, he could have, but he, he, it, it was just much easier for him. We're having the funeral on Wednesday. Matter of fact, I was supposed to tell you that. Wednesday morning, 10 to 12, is the uh, visitation at Sharps and Fenton. At noon is the memorial service, and, and bless their hearts at the Freedom Center. They're going to let us use one of their big rooms, and we're going to have a little lunch afterwards. So if you want to come, you're all invited. Um, a time to weep and a time to mourn. For me personally, it was you know it felt like five minutes, and, and then I'm, I'm kind of right back on track. I, I don't know, Ryan, maybe it was a little harder for you. I know for Teresa, in so many ways, my mom was a mom for Teresa, and her, her thing has been tougher than mine. My brother... Um, his family lives up north. It's been tougher for my brother Jamie than it has been for me. But my experience has been this amazing grace. So my time to mourn and my time to weep. Um, the last comment out of these verses in Ecclesiastes, I've, you know, I've, I've done maybe four or five funerals, something like that, and every time the Holy Spirit impresses on me that it's a season. A season is a finite period of time. A season is not forever. And, and it's a ploy of the devil to get a person to grieve beyond the season for grieving. Because grieving is it, it's, it's weighty, it's heavy, it's costly. There's, there's energy that goes into grieving that can't go into something else. It, it's a part of your life that needs to happen so that you can heal. But it's not a part of your life that happens forever. You mourn, you grieve... You let the Holy Spirit work that stuff out. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't know what happens to you. But if you've got God, the Holy Spirit works all that stuff out of you. Doesn't mean you didn't love your mom or your brother or you know, your uncle or whoever passed away once you stopped grieving. It means you're just done grieving. You move on with your life. So remember that. If you feel, and, and I wish I knew what the appropriate time is. It's probably not average five minutes. But it's not five months or a year or five years. You shouldn't be... My aunt just popped into my head. I don't know how long my grandpa's been dead, but my aunt has been grieving my grandpa's death every day for 20 years. It's not healthy, and it's not, it's not ordained from God. So it's a season. It's a time. When you find yourself in a moment of grief, understand that it's going to pass. Every night ends and the sun comes up in the morning, right? Okay. If you look at Scripture, and we're Christians... If you're not, I'm going to give you a chance to be a Christian today. Join the club. Yay, team. Um, we can find from Scripture some expectations for what happens when we have moments of, of, of grief and sorrow and sadness. And everyone's experience might not be the same, but the truth is always the truth. The truth is never relative. So in, in Matthew chapter 5, I, I think it's verse 4, where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you know Jesus and you're mourning, you absolutely should expect comfort. Because the truth isn't relative to if it's my mourning or it's your grief. Truth is always truth, okay? All right. Let's look at some examples. Now, some of these are going to be really directly related to my experience. And, and some of them are just going to be things that when I was praying, the Lord showed me. And I'm going to share them with you. Let's look at grief from the perspective of... Um, 
the disciples, Jesus' disciples, right? He had probably hundreds, maybe over the course of his three-year ministry, maybe thousands of people that, that might have considered themselves disciples. When he said, uh, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in me, he lost a bunch because the, the concept of cannibalism wasn't part of their spiritual program. Um, but I'd say, you know, best guess from reading the Gospels, my, my sense would be that there were probably hundreds that really followed Jesus around. And of those hundreds, there were 12 that he called apostles. And of those 12, there were three that were really like the ones he mentored, right? James, John, and Peter, those three. So maybe even let's put ourselves in the shoes of James, John, and Peter, the ones, excuse me, that were taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the ones that he took with him into the room where the little 12-year-old girl had died and he raised her up. What would it be like if your loss was Jesus? For three years, you've First, you left everything you had. Let's even start there, right? Peter talked to him at one point when he was, he was saying, what, what does it require for the kingdom? And he told the rich young ruler that he had to sell everything he had and give the money to the poor, and he would have to, then he could follow Jesus and have treasure in heaven. And, and Peter said, well, gosh, you know, Lord, we did that. We, we walked away. Just Jesus walks up. He says, follow me. They dropped the nets, walk away from the boat. For three years, they followed Jesus. They walked away from everything. Now, the context of the scripture is that Jesus is now, it's kind of towards the end of the book of John, he's telling them that he's going to go away. And they're struggling with the concept of him going away. So let me just read you the scripture. John 16, verses 4 through 7. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, some translations call him the comforter, the parakletos in the Greek, one that comes alongside, that one that will come alongside, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they're, they're with Jesus for three years. In those three years, they see perfect character every second. They've never seen anybody with perfect character. They see three years of a person who never commits a sin. Never commits a sin. Never does anything sinfully wrong. Perfect. They experience perfect love every day. Everything that Jesus does is manifested in perfect love. No concept for perfect love. They see, during the course of three years, as they wander from city to city to village to village, from synagogue to synagogue, in the temple, in Judea, in Samaria, in Galilee, everywhere they go, he heals all the sick and cures all the diseases. Never saw that before. Every blind eye opened. Every deaf ear opened. Every lame person in a wheelchair, on a pallet, gnarled up hand, made whole, just right. That was their life for three years. And they probably had some sense that he had an expectation that they were going to keep doing it. What would, the, what would the grief feel like if you were about to lose Jesus? What did Jesus tell them? You don't have to mourn. You have this sorrow, but you don't need it. Why? Because I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the comforter. And you know, even on a rabbit trail, if you think about it, Jesus had... I don't know, hundreds of disciples, 12 apostles, three interns, I guess, that he mentored, and billions of people to reach. 
He came the way he was supposed to come, fully God, fully man. But if Peter had a problem and he needed the hands laid on him, Jesus had two. If James had a problem at the same time, he could pray for both of them. He couldn't lay hands on three at a time. When he left, he sent the helper. The helper lives inside of us. Now Jesus has, I don't know, my two hands plus your two hands. That's at least four. He's already doubled them, just with me and Kevin right there. Six, if you count Ken. For the job to get done, there was no way to do it. Jesus, if he never ever was going to die a physical death, was not going to touch every person that needed to be touched with the gospel before they got old and died. It had to happen this way. That's what those guys lived with. Jesus' answer for them, Holy Spirit. His answer for you, his answer for me, Holy Spirit. Answer for any problem that we got, Holy Spirit. It's all in the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' answer. How did he do it? He had to do it outside of his divinity. He stopped, it says he emptied himself. He didn't stop being God, but he emptied himself. He did not access his divinity so that he could be offered by himself as high priest, offered as Lamb of God, sacrificed, so that it didn't have to keep happening every day on the day, or every year on the Day of Atonement. Outside of his divinity, he did everything as a, as a pure vessel, no sin impediment in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it worked. Okay, so, if you look at the book of Acts, we've kind of gone in and out of the first part of the book of Acts a number of times here in the last few weeks, you see that they dealt with the grief in the power of the Holy Spirit two ways. In, the, in his presence in the person, right? He lives inside of us. He can minister. God ministers to us in the Holy Spirit. And he ministers to us in the church through the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I ever told you this. I know I've told some of you this. A lot of times when I'm praying, you might think this is nutty. I hope you come back next Sunday. But I'll be sitting in my prayer chair. And I pray all the time, Lord, please just make me be just like Jesus. The places where I kick and scream, then you just drag me through them spots because I want to look like Jesus. And sometimes I'll get this right in here. This is close to sit up as I ever do. I get this, my muscles just all contract. It happens a lot when I'm praying in tongues. And I just go like this, and I go like this, and my stomach just keeps doing this. That's not something I do on purpose. And I'm like, God, what the heck is going on? I don't understand this very much. And I had this sense of him just reaching up inside and just grabbing junk that wasn't like Jesus because I told him to do it and pulling it out of me. Little pride coming out, little selfishness coming out, a little greed coming out. You know what I'm saying? And I have this sense. That's, the, that's at least what I think is going on in that moment. That's the Holy Spirit ministering to me in my person, literally in my person. Okay. So let's look at some more scriptures. When we're anxious, he ministers to us. The Holy Spirit can minister to us through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Excuse me, 1 Peter. I almost got you there, didn't I, Eric? Follow my own order. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Reads, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. I used to see that as three separate thoughts. The first thought was that I need to be humble. Humble myself before God. There's other scriptures in that neighborhood that talk about that you know, God's grace is extended to the humble, but he resists against the pride. And, and that would be a thought for me. Okay, humility is important. I have to have humility. The second thought then would be that uh, Jesus loves me and he cares about my problems. I can take my problem and give it to Jesus. That's a third thought. And then the fourth thought, and you'll see how we are with these scriptures because we'll quote like the one that the, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We quote that all the time, and it's true. But it's in the context of this. That was the third thought. Okay, I got this enemy, this devil that's looking to have me for lunch. And, you know, I need to be aware of that. My adversary, be of sober mind. I need to, you know, not be drunk in my thinking because he's looking for me to be drunk in my thinking so he can take advantage of me. But it's, it's one biblical principle that... Especially if you're a guy. You know, how many of you guys, if you've got a problem, are quick to hand it to somebody else? Right? Not in this culture. A man carries a man's load. A man takes care of a man's stuff. Well, the Bible says that you can't carry your whole load by yourself. And, and in this course of Scripture, is saying, take that man thing of yours, humble yourself, and take and give it to Jesus because he cares for you. And sometimes even a fellow learns to give it to Jesus... And then the second it's not right, instantly we take it back. Because, well, Jesus, you had an opportunity to deal with my problem, so I guess I'm going to have to. And we take it right back. So first concept is we have to humble ourselves. Second concept is we have to be willing to release it to Jesus. And the third concept is to understand if we don't, that anxiety that we're carrying around and keeping in our pride makes us weak. And that one who would like to have us for lunch is going to go and eat the weak one, not the strong one. So he's saying to us, one big thought, humble yourselves, just be humble. It's okay, you don't have to slay the lion because you can take that anxiety and you can give it to me because I care about you. Now keep sober in your mind, remember these things so that you don't allow yourself to be weak and get devoured by this animal. He comforts us in our anxiety. Eric, I'm going to go back now to where I should have been just a second ago. Second concept I wanted to share with you is the Holy Spirit comforts us even in conviction. You hear two words a lot in the context of this kind of teaching, conviction and condemnation. Remember when I pray all the time for the offering? I want the Holy Spirit to convict me, convict us. How do we spend this money, right? New church Cadillac for pastor to drive on Sunday mornings or hungry children in Africa? Convict me, Lord, so I know. That's conviction. Condemnation says you're a bad person and, and God can't love you and you're going to go spend eternity in hell. The voice of conviction comes from the Holy Spirit because he's trying to shape you into the look and likeness of Jesus Christ. The voice of condemn, condemnation comes from the devil because he's trying to devour you. If he can keep you feeling condemned, he keeps you in a place where he can have you for lunch because you're living in a lie. Because you're, if you're a Christian, you're not condemned. You're free. Okay? You're forgiven. All right, so mom dies. I start getting these thoughts. You know, you're a rotten son. Well, I, you know, I'm going to tell you it's from Jesus, so maybe those weren't exactly the words. <laughs> you rotten, no good, burning in hell. Nope. But I was getting a conviction. I was getting a guilt feeling about, for the last number of years, honestly, 
I could have visited my mom a lot more than I did. And I didn't visit her because probably a little bit was selfishness and a little bit was, it was very uncomfortable. I am so much like my mom in so many ways. I've had these conversations with my mom that are so good. I mean, she's so wise and she, would, she has shaped me so much. And I just have these amazing conversations where I would just kind of sit at my mom's feet and tell her what's going on and she would feed me good stuff and the conversations the last few years have been, so what's going on in the world? Well, you know, President Obama's the president, and, you know, the Lions lost another game, and, you know, Ryan's got a baby, and we adopted this little girl. Oh, that's good. Who's the little girl? Mom, that's Annika. She's our granddaughter, and, you know, she's been with us for about a year now, and, you know, we adopted her, and she's just beautiful. Oh, she's a pretty girl, yeah. So what's going on in the world? Well, Mom, you know, Ryan's got... And, we, and we'd have the same conversation over and over and over again. And I had the grace from God to have the conversation. And I know it wasn't very comfortable for her, but I'm feeling this conviction about, you know, you could have spent a lot more time, right? The scripture says that we should honor our parents, honor our parents, so that two things happen. We can have a long life and things will go well for us. I can't get loose of this thing. I'm praying, Lord, man, you know, oh, that devil's beating me up. And to my mind comes this verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we, can, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, the devil's not going to lead me to many scriptures. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me that the way I treated my mom over the course of the last few years was sinful. It wasn't honoring her the way the scripture teaches me that I should. So I prayed it. I said, Lord, I didn't honor my mom as I should. It was sin. I confessed it to the Lord. He forgave it, returned me to a place of righteousness. I haven't had one thought of that conviction ever since. Amen. See, sometimes comfort got to walk through an uncomfortable spot to get there. And the comforter got to drag you sometimes through that uncomfortable spot because he wants you to be comforted. Comforted. Comfortable. Comforted. He wants you to be comforted. I had to confess. It was sin. I know it was sin because I felt conviction. If it was the devil, I'd still be feeling it because he's not going to turn me loose just because I confessed it to God. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he released me from that conviction because once it's done, it's done. Now it's behind me. If I have that thought ever again, I know where it's coming from. It's from the devil. Now sadly, I don't have a mom or a dad to walk out repentance, right? Just like the guy and the, the three guys on the cross, right? Jesus and the other two guys. And, and the one guy calls Jesus Lord and he recognizes who he is. And he never had the opportunity to walk out his repentance. Because you don't have to walk it out. I mean, you really should walk it out. But, but walking it out isn't the issue. What's in your heart is the issue. And as soon as it went away, I know because scripture teaches me that it's done. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I wish I, you know, I, wish I hadn't sinned that way. I wish I would have honored my mom in every way that I could have, but I blew it that way. Rats. It's gone now. Conviction is a way that the Holy Spirit will bring you comfort. All right, Eric, back on track. Now we're at 2 Corinthians. This is another interesting one, too. As I was praying, I had this thought. I wonder if I was supposed to be strong. You know, if I'm supposed to be strong. I'm the patriarch of the family, right? My dad's been gone forever. Um, my brother is younger than me. 
I'm, the, I guess, the patriarch of, you know, at least our little leg of the Brady family. I wonder if I should walk out some kind of strength, you know? I won't cry. I won't show any emotion. I'm just going to be really strong. And, and everybody else, you know, they'll just be able to draw from my strength. And I started having these weird thoughts like, well, <laughs> scripturally, I'm a dead guy, right? I died. I live in Jesus Christ now. My life is not my own. I'm a dead guy. And, and I got a smile on my face. I'm like, hey, dead guy's got no strength. So any strength that I would try to display as an act of something in this situation, even if it seems like the right thing to do, it's fake. It's facade strength. And I end up at 2 Corinthians. If you ever want to get a chuckle, I don't know what the other translations read, but if you read the first maybe six or seven verses of 2 Corinthians, Paul says some form of the word comfort like 80 times. It's like comfort and comfort is comforting to those that comfort. It's crazy. But anyway, he took me to this, this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And you'll kind of have to listen close because it gets a little tangled the way Paul speaks, but you'll see the point here in a second. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What he's saying is, all comfort, even if you're a non-believer, if you, if you know any sense of comfort, God's just blessed you with it. All comfort comes from God. And blessed be God that he can bring me comfort in my affliction, that through my comfort, I may comfort others in their affliction, right? So, the thought came to my mind is, I could put up this strong thing, because I could be a good actor if I wanted to, and I could act real strong, and, and, and people could find some kind of comfort in my fake strength, and maybe that would be a good answer. Or, I could do what the scripture says, and in my comfort, they could find comfort. In your peace, they will find peace. So, I didn't really get the opportunity to walk this out very much, because... We don't have a big family anymore, and none of us are here, but just Ryan and Krista and Joe and, and Judah. But the thought was to understand that it's not in some kind of feigned strength that you would bring somebody else comfort. It's in comfort that you bring comfort. And real comfort is comfort that comes from the Lord. It's so wonderful. He says that um, when, I was, when I was praying out this thought about being a dead guy and not having any strength, Paul... I think it's in 2 Corinthians as well. I don't have the scriptures. But basically he says that any strength that he has isn't really good strength, that it's God who strengthens him to do all things, and that he will boast in his weakness, that as he humbles himself and boasts in his weakness, the strength of God will be manifest in his person. Well, that's what I want, because on my best day, whatever strength I got pales in comparison to the strength of the Lord that dwells in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. All right. Um, I need my uh, I need my sermon illustration guys to come up here for just a second. Maybe you guys could just stand like side by side, right here, and just leave a little bit of room. Okay, I'm gonna be there in just a minute. I'm gonna read you two scriptures, and then I want to give you an illustration. Keith, I thought about you. Sermon illustration. Keith loves it when I do a sermon illustration. Let's start in Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses 
of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Similarly, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 reads, Bear one another's burdens and thereby, pardon me, fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, love your, excuse me, love your neighbor as yourself. So, stand just a little further apart. Okay. Put your left hand out. These right here, this is, this is Shane's ability to cope with all of the stuff that comes. You know, Eli has a seizure or, you know, Pat's mom dies. This is, this is what he has to deal with that kind of stuff. He's a balance, okay? Now, that's the stuff that Shane has to deal with the, the issues of life that come his way. This represents the weight of the issues of life, okay? Shane's a balance. They equal each other, right? Okay. Kevin, ability to deal with the issues of life, the weight associated with the issues of life. Scripture says, now these guys are both Christians, right? Scripture says that we're to bear one another's burdens. We're to to help each other in a time of, of, of excess burdens, So something happens in Shane's life. Who knows what it is? I'm not going to prophesy anything bad over Shane, but but it's a burden that now comes into this hand. What happens to Shane's balance? He goes out of balance. What does the Bible say that we should do? Bear one another's burdens. So Kevin, bless his Christian heart, reaches over here, reach over with that burden hand, and helps Shane with his burden. Now look what happens to Shane. He's back in balance. But what happened to Kevin? Uh Uh-oh. Now you get this huge Christian domino thing that, you know, his drops into mine and we all go, until all the Christians fall down. Bearing one another's burdens is absolutely important because, look at that, man, because, just stay for a second. I'm just messing with him now. No, I'm not. Because he designed us as a body, not as an island unto ourselves. Not with this structural steel that could bear any burden all by myself. And he did that in his wisdom because he needs us together. Interlocked, small groups, grow groups, softball team, all that kind of stuff is so that we will be together so that when I get, or Shane gets, an extra ball in this side... (laughs) Kevin was the smart one. He's just the cute one. When he goes tilt... There's somebody that knows he's tilted, and they can help him out. He can get back into balance. Okay? The gist of the teaching that you're going to get in the grow groups is that you have to have margin in your life. This looks like a good program. There's, you know, stuff comes. I got stuff to deal with it. A little more stuff comes. got more stuff. I'm okay. I'm in balance. I'm walking through life. It's all right. Except for if God asked me to do something. Uh-oh, my brother's got a burden he can't bear. He's tilting out. I need to go help. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have any space. It should look like this. This is probably the better. Put two over here. Now Shane's ability to deal with the issues of life are greater than his issues of life. He has what Andy Stanley in the teaching calls margin. The difference between what he has to offer and what's required of him. Because at some point in time, he's going to be asked to carry some more. And, and we can't be in a place where if we carry somebody else's, it causes us to go tilt. Okay, thanks, guys. You are wonderful, balanced skills. If anybody ever asks, 
Does that make sense to you? You get the concept? It's in everything. See, that, 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 that isn't the... That isn't one of the specifics that Andy Stanley talks about, but the principle applies to everything in your life. We're about to build a church, right? If, if my finances, you know, if, if my finances and my need for finances make me like this, and then somebody comes to me and says, the Lord's asking us to build a beachhead over on Seymour Road, so I got to give some of my finances, I go tilt. It applies to finances. It applies to just every area of your life. God brings comfort through the Holy Spirit by way of his church. And honestly, man, I'm telling you what, this week, that's who you guys have been. You're responsible for the extra bulge in my shirt because you've been feeding us like a king. Everyday food. See, because preparing meals was a burden next to the other burden. So somebody took the meals away, brought us right back to balance again. Wonderful. Every day, we've had just the most amazing food. Text messages, prayers. I got a hug from, I'm not saying who, but, but a lady in our church hugged me and said, I love you so much. And you know what? I might have to ask that lady to you know, do this or do that someday, and she might say, I can't, whatever. But in that moment... There was so much comfort in the knowledge that her love was so sincere for me. And it just made me feel good. It, it lightened my load. All week long, that's, you guys have been praying for us. I know you have. And it's made a difference. I think part of the reason why I've had such an easy time dealing with my mom passing is because the body of Christ, you guys are like white blood cells and I'm a cut. And you all just rush to the white blood cell and, and you bring healing and wellness through your prayers, through your, your caring, all that kind of stuff. That's it. That's what it's about. So, two things. Hey, Isaac, if you could come and play the piano or strum your guitar, um, I'm not asking you to raise up your hand or anything, but there's almost no time in our lives where there's not something. And I've learned that, I learned this with my kids, and, and it was something I, I didn't learn soon enough in their lives. This isn't maybe the exact thing, but this is an example. You know, uh, your kid's got a girlfriend and he's 14 years old, which if there's any kids in here, you don't get to have a girlfriend when you're 14. Um, and the girlfriend breaks up with them. And you know, because you're not 14 anymore and you had 20 girlfriends, that it'll be about a week and you won't remember that girl's name and she won't remember your name and you'll have a new boyfriend and she'll have a new girlfriend or however that whole thing works. In a grand scheme of life, there's starving children in Africa. The fact that you lost your girlfriend doesn't matter that much. But to the person who's hurt that is, it's everything. And it needs to be treated for what it, what it is to them, not what it is to me. So whether your thing looks big, <laughs> Ben Green, I'm talking to you right now. Whether... <laughs> Ben keeps wanting to give his Africa money away. Every time there's a need, he just wants to give his Africa money away. It's like, I think God wants you to go to Africa. But whether it's your Africa money or it's your house payment or it's your not so sure about a relationship or, or it's your mom died, whatever it is for you, it's real. And it's a burden. And you can lose 
the burden so that you can be at least in balance, if not better than in balance, by the comfort of the Holy Spirit in his presence in your person. When you close your eyes and you say, Lord, I got anxiety. He says, that's cool. I got lots of margin in my world. Give it to me. And you say, Lord, I give it to you. And I ask for that peace that surpasses my ability to understand. And it comes. He will comfort you through your brothers and your sisters when they show up with amazing meals, when they send text messages to your phone, I'm praying for you, I love you, how are you doing? There's one other way, though, that I had comfort this week, and that was that three times, twice I saw my mom raise her hand in an altar call, and remember my story, I never went to church my whole life. It wasn't because my mom went and I didn't go with her. I'm really concerned about my mom's spiritual state because she never went to church. Twice when she went to church with us, I saw her raise her hand. Once, as she started to, you know, struggling with the dementia, I, I really, it, it took a lot of courage for me to have this conversation with my mom. I said, Mom, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what it means to go to heaven or not go to heaven? What it means to call him Lord, to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead? You, I want to make sure you understand that because I'm in the Jesus business, man, and if my mom doesn't know it, then what the heck am I doing up here talking to somebody else? And I walked her through the process of what it meant to be saved. And she said, yes, I would confess him as Lord. Yes, I would submit my will to his will. Yes, I believe that I was a sinner, that I'd done things that are wrong to God, and that the full payment for what I did is in Jesus Christ, and it was paid for by him. And I do believe that he was dead, really dead, and risen to really life. I said, Mom, if all that's true in your heart, then that's a big piece for me because now I know. So the last really important component of comfort for me was knowing that my mom, I mean, the best anybody can know, right? Knowing that my mom is with Jesus. I couldn't pray the prayer, Lord, take her, if I didn't think he was actually going to take her to be with him. So today, if you have a burden, I ask you to walk this way. I mean, we don't sacrifice animals on the altar, but the altar is a symbolic place where we give things, where we, we take from us and we offer to Jesus pride, anger. You pick it, and you put it on the altar, and you let the Holy Spirit come and minister to you in your person. And if you're in a good spot and you want to come and just, just pray for your brothers and sisters then pray for your brothers and sisters that, that anything... See, we don't have to ask for the comfort because Jesus said we have the comfort. We pray against the liar that wants to steal the comfort. So if you want to pray a hedge, if you want to pray that, that no device of evil would hinder this person's ability to receive your comfort, Lord, then I'd ask you to help with that. And then the last thing is, I closed my eyes and bowed my head last week when Chris was finishing his message and and he, he gave a salvation call. And I sensed from what I heard that nobody responded to it. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is not a game. This is the real deal. You could live the most, 
don't know what the word, word would be, life for 100 years and go to hell. I talked to a guy yesterday. He said, well, you know, I don't know where the Lord's going to take me one way or the other. You know, he was helping me get the stuff out of my mom's apartment. And I said, dude, you really need to care where you go. You, it's it's kind of cute to say that, but trust me, if you don't understand the difference between if God takes you to be with him or he doesn't, you've got to know because it's not something that you would, you would never make that flippant comment if you had any sense for what hell was going to be like. See, in hell there's no hope. There is no hope in hell. When you stand before God and you're judged, did you or did you not call Jesus Lord? Did you by faith or didn't you by faith believe that he was risen from the dead and he was the Savior for your sins? If the answer to that is no, and you take one step into hell and you say, I repent, Lord, faith, God, you can cry, you can scream, you can mean it, there's no chance anymore because your hope for heaven is gone. I got the sense that nobody responded. Maybe that's because everybody was saved. I don't know. I hope that's it. If, it, if you don't know, here's how you know. You say, Father in heaven, because he's about to be your dad. God in heaven. I recognize, I understand that I have sinned against you and eternally separated myself from you. I believe that Jesus is the full payment for my sin. In my heart, I believe it. I believe also that he died on that cross and that you raised him from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that he will be the Lord of my life, that I will submit my will to his. And I recognize that I need to remain in that place until you come to get me. If you do that, then you get the comforter and you get the hope that is heaven for your eternity. So if you want to come forward and put something on this altar and ask the Lord for that comfort, I invite you to do that right now. of men. There is no favorite that gets good comfort and no less favorite that gets less comfort. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that your word is true, that the person of your Holy Spirit is everything for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray against the the evil in this world. I pray against everything that would stand opposed to your truth and your will, Lord. I reject and rebuke the enemy that might try to steal this comfort that you bring into my brothers and my sisters, Lord. I thank you for the joy. I thank you for the shalom. I thank you that every good thing and every perfect, perfect gift given comes straight down from your heavenly throne for us. And I praise your name. I praise you that you're good, that your character is without flaw, that you are mighty in every way. 
I thank you, Lord Jesus, that everything that would cause us to need comfort, you experienced everything. And your word says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And we can meet God who knows what we're suffering from because you suffered from it and you overcame it. pride, no anything stop them from coming and saying, Jesus is Lord, and having that faith that you grace them with faith is a gift from you to be able to be saved thank you Lord stop thinking about. Keep keep praying. Keep receiving. I just want to tell you that the word says over and over again, it says it in the Old Testament, it says it in the New Testament, that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I want each and every one of you that are at this altar to, this morning to know that you're in your humility, in your courage to step out and come forward you're going to meet a grace that the Bible promises that you'll have because his grace is abundant in our humility. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. More, Lord, I just pray more. Thank you for being patient with us, everybody. I just appreciate you being patient and praying and lifting up your brothers and your sisters. And I just ask for more, Lord, more Holy Spirit, that that, that, that glory rain would just fall on us, that it just come down from the heavens and just fall on us, that the glory rain would just fall on us, Lord, that your, your cleansing fire, that, 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 that purifying fire would come, Lord. We would recognize your work as your work, and we wouldn't flee from it, Lord. Even if you have to pull us through the hard part to get us to the comfortable place. Thank you for your conviction. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray right now that each and every person, Lord, would start to just be releasing those things that would be the weight of our lives, the anxieties that are being cast upon you, and that their balance scale would be just tilting to the good, Lord. That balance is just the point where good intersects bad. That your will for us is that our ability to handle would so outweigh the weightiness of life that we would have a huge margin, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray all our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. 
guys have an awesome, awesome week. Thank you for listening. Praise God.